This morning, we're going to be sharing a scripture that we've alluded to, mentioned briefly several times over the Advent season, and that is out of the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And so I'd ask that you turn to John, chapter 1, and uh, I'll read the first 18 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, has, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me ranks before Me, because He was before Me. And from the fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Now, this is called the prologue to John, the Gospel of John. And quite interestingly, these first 18 verses, in a sense, are an introduction to the whole Gospel of John. As you go through this introduction, you're going to, you'll pick up pieces of the Gospel of John. Uh, in fact, it's almost like an index. Some of these verses refer into specific areas. I'm not going to get into detail about that. Um, uh, Carson, in his uh, uh, commentary, the Gospel of John, has a really neat reference to all of this and a chart in it. In fact, you can probably go online someplace and find that if you were interested, and it shows some parallels as to how this works out that way. But what I just want to focus on is is the reality that that God has come, and He's come in the flesh, and that was our emphasis on on Advent. And it couldn't have been a better selection of songs this morning, in the sense that we were talking about Jesus and darkness and light. And then we were talking about grace that passes on, you know, this tremendous God's grace. All of that is in this this, uh, first 18 verses. So uh, we've been, through our worship, have been really prepared by the Holy Spirit to to look at this together this morning. So uh, would you pray with me as we, we go to share in the Word? Father, we just thank You that we can come this morning. We ask through Your Holy Spirit that You open our hearts and our minds, that we might receive from You things from your word that will encourage each of us where we are in our walk. Not at the same place, but as only your word can do through your Holy Spirit. Minister to all of us. And uh, we just thank you. 
that we can come. We thank you that we have your your word to share to show us who you are and what you've done for us and and how uh, you would have us respond to you. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit is with us and in us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Like I was saying, this was touched on many times uh, in the the through the Advent uh, sermons uh, that we've shared, uh, and then even in our Christmas Eve service. And uh, but the, I want to just focus on the prologue alone, or the this introduction to the Gospel of John. First, uh, why John wrote, and in order to understand what John was doing, we interestingly have to go to almost the very end of John. Gospel of John, chapter 20, and uh, look at verses 30 and 31. It's, uh, there's only one more chapter after that, but John gives us his purpose for writing the Gospel. John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And by saying that, he's saying as a Son of God, the Hebrew people especially would understand this, but is by calling Him the Son of God, He was announcing His divinity, that He was God in the flesh, if you will, being the Son of God, but that also He's mentioning the fact that he's his humanity that in the sense that he is a person within the godhead this is an allusion to the trinity i'm not going to get into the trinity this morning but god the father son and holy spirit uh we're told in in uh, matthew with the great commission to go out and to baptize and, and to bring people in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and that is the fullness of who god is all of them sharing the same essence but yet three personalities within the framework of of god so there's God the Father, God the Son, and that's who we're going to be talking about this morning. We won't really get into the Holy Spirit. Um, so, again, Paul writing that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that they were looking forward to, the hope of the Hebrew people. And uh, so he says, uh, you know, uh, as we look at this, Well, I'll make this mention first. The Word is, we start in, in, in chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is a reference to Jesus Christ. It's one of His many names. We, we call Him the Word. We call Him, as we will in a few minutes, the Light. Uh, we call Him the Son of God, Jesus, the Christ, Messiah. Uh, he's uh, Lord, uh, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, all of these different references. He is the Word. So we have a very unique statement that's saying here, in the beginning. Where does that take us if you think about it? Where else is that phrase found in Scripture, pronounced it very definitively, in the beginning? Yeah, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it talks about Him speaking them into existence. There's a tie into all of this. That's not an accident. The Holy Spirit through John is wanting us to tie this together. As you go to the uh, the, the uh, Genesis chapter one, uh, where it says, "Let us create man in our image, 
Very interesting picture of God. Let us, God, singular, us, plural, the three personalities of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Since the Spirit was over the waters of the earth, it's all there in the very first chapter of Genesis chapter 1. And so we have this picture of the fullness of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John wanted us to tie that together in the beginning. And, and so here in the beginning, is, is and, and the idea of beginning is before everything else, before the creation. So before the creation, you know, then, you know, in the very beginning, then God said. In other words, all of creation comes after the words in the beginning. So in the beginning, in a sense, precedes, it's before everything is brought into existence. That's speaking to Christ being eternal. Now, that's a very powerful statement coming from John. He is saying he is God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, showing us the, the, the relationship that there is a separate person. There's God the, per, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He was with God. So there's even a relationship being announced there. And it, because it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the idea is an intimate relationship, uh, a le- relationship that had all the love, all the, the, the things, that, all the attributes of God are in that relationship. And it says, in the beginning, He is with God, and then it says, he, the Word was God. There's no mistaking that. You can't get around what John says there. There are cult groups that go around and they, they, they see Jesus as either created or as, as a lower God. There's different things that, in reference to that. And some of them have written the New Testament, at least in the sense here, they would say, and Jesus was, and they put in the article, a God in there. If anybody ever shows you a Bible and says, see, it says a God, They've got, a, they've got another gospel going. Because that isn't in there. And Paul says something very specific about any other gospel. It's anathema. Galatians chapter 1 says, don't have anything to do with any other gospel. Only the one that I have preached. Jesus Christ was God. Not a God. He is God. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul speaks about before the foundation of the world, God predestined His church, the people that would be in it. And so, before the foundation of the world is, is that picture of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit having this plan that would, where God would enter into the world. The Word was God and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, the interesting thing that, that Paul gets into here or I mean, John gets in here too. Is is as we look at this, is is what we're saying is that Christ is pre-existing. In other words, before the foundation of the world, He existed. In John chapter eight, and I, I, I want to share these scriptures. I'm just going to use the ones that I find in the Gospel of John just to keep it easy this morning. In John chapter eight, uh, starting with verse fifty-two, we have a very interesting passage in reference to. Uh, Jesus, who's talking with the Jews. And the, the Jews had a very distinct idea about themselves as a people. They saw them as the children of Abraham. 
And they were. They were ancestral. They could trace their, their, their Jewish lineage back to Abraham. And so they called him what? Father Abraham. They didn't have the song back then. Father Abraham had many sons, and uh, right hand, left hand, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, but the idea was is that we have Father Abraham. And they believed that because they were descendants of Abraham, that they were the children, the family of God. And again, correct. But that was, that, that was the foundation that was the beginning. There was more to it that would make them complete in the family of God. And that would be the Messiah. And that's why they longed for the Messiah. And so, in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and the scribes, uh, the Jews. And in John, the Gospel of John, I want to be careful with this. Uh, he uses the term Jews as referring to the leadership of the Hebrew people, generally speaking. So, when he says, and the Jews said or the Jews did, he's referring to primarily the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, the, the priesthood of the Jewish people. And so uh, he's saying, uh, the Jews said to Jesus, verse 52, the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Now, I put a inflection in that, and that's the way it is in the, in the, in the, the idea of the, of the grammar of this here. Who do you make yourself out to be? And, and, and Jesus answers in verse 54, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. If my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say He is our God, but you have not known Him, I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you, but I do not... You hear what he's saying here? I'd be a liar like you. Here these people are claiming to know God, and he's saying you, you don't know God. Uh, you don't know Him. I keep His Word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Abraham looked forward to my day, the seed that would bless all the nations. He looked forward to my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? In other words, you're only 50, you know, and it was, this was sarcasm at its fullest. Abraham lived, you know, uh, 1,200 years ago. Who, who are you? You're only 50. No way. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, when Jesus says truly, truly, it's like double emphasis. I really want you to grab a hold of this. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. It's a powerful statement hard for some of us to grasp because we aren't Hebrew. We don't know all the Old Testament Scriptures the way they would have. But I'm sure some of you can think of another time when the word or the phrase, I am, was used. In Exodus chapter 3, at the burning bush, when Moses asks God to, he says, who do I say sent me? You know, I've got to have a name. I've got to have something. And he said, I am that I am has sent you. I am. Meaning, I exist. The one who has always existed. I am. The one who has always existed is sending you. 
When he said this phrase, I am, that's the same phrase that was used of God in Exodus. No Hebrew would ever say that phrase that way. Because it would be making a declaration. I'm God. And Jesus says, I am. And somebody says, well, how can you be sure that's what Jesus meant? Verse 39. Or 59, I mean. Their reaction. So they picked up stones to throw at Him. Now, this is the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Hebrews. These are the Jewish scholars. They knew what He said. It was a blasphemy for a man to call himself God. And so they were saying he's a blasphemer. And they picked up stones. They were ready to stone him. Now it says that he exits out and out of the temple and they, they were unable to do anything. There's all sorts of descriptions about, well, maybe he just disappeared in the cloud. And I think he just, with all authority that he had, walked out of the crowd and they were unable to do anything. In spite of what they wanted to do. They wanted to execute him Right then, right there. Rejection. Okay? But Jesus made a declaration. I am. I am the all-existing, ever-existing, the one who has before all things. I am. It's important to grasp that. In John chapter 10.30, he makes a very simple statement. I am the Father, our one. And again, if you look at that, that's verse 30. I am the Father, our one. Verse 31, it says the Jews wanted to pick up stones again. They understood what he was saying. He was calling himself God. And in John 7, 15, or 17, verse 5, 17, verse 5, in the prayer that Jesus was giving, it's sometimes called the high priestly prayer, um, Jesus is talking to being restored to the glory that He had before the world existed, meaning in the beginning. So before the world existed. So you see Jesus referring to Himself as John has referred to Him here in chapter 1 very clearly. I am God. I am the Father of one. Another place He says, if you have seen Me, He says, you have seen the Father. The Father and I are one. So, this is important to grasp as we go into this. John is setting the work of his, his gospel that he's starting right off with. Jesus is God. He was in the beginning with God. He has a personality, one of three persons of making up the Godhead. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, Jesus is, is God. He was with the Word. He was the Word. Uh, he was God. And so, he goes on now and he says that everything is made through Him. All things are made through Him. What does that say then? He is, God used Him as the vehicle of creation. When God said, spoke His Word, see how it all kind of comes together, God is, through Jesus, creates all things. And we have uh, the author of Hebrews uh, emphasize that in chapter 1, of Hebrews, if you read chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, uh, it says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, through whom also He 
created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The Son is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint, meaning image. There can be no images made of God. That's blasphemy again. And he says right here, he's the exact image of God. Coming back to, if you look at me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Exact imprint of His nature and upholds the universe by the word of His power and making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What a, it's a, just a really powerful statement. He was used by God in the reference to the creation. Colossians also says the same thing. In Colossians chapter 1, starting with the 15th verse, it says, He, referring to Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God. Again, making that statement. The firstborn of all creation. Now, when it says the firstborn of all creation, He's not referring to an actual birth. Firstborn is also the position of inheritance. What do we know about Jesus? After the cross, He is exalted, restored to His kingdom, and He inherits all the kingdoms of the earth. Okay? He then turns around and what with that inheritance? According to Scripture in Ephesians, He shares it with us. We are joint heirs. And Romans chapter 8 talks all about we are joint heirs with Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or all things were created through Him and for Him. By that invisible meaning uh, thrones and authorities and powers meaning angels, angelic, heavenly host. All were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, have final, full authority. Okay, and this picture that he holds all things together, we sang a song just a minute ago. His breath, his, his, we have, you know, he breathes, our, our breath is from him. Every breath we take is from, from Christ, it's by his grace. There's a general statement of grace. That extends over all humanity, and in our, as and as we live, we're walking in that general grace. Whether we ever receive Christ or not, we're still walking in that grace in the sense that we breathe, we exist, and and, and he says even the rain falls on the good and the unjust. God throws blessings out to the whole world, uh, but as Christians, we see them even down to our very breath. And I, and I think about that. I wonder, I, I, I was reading this and I was thinking, it's not something I think about. I, I mean, how many of us even have to think about taking a breath? I had an acquaintance in, in uh, grammar school who had a disease that impaired him and he had to actually have a stimulant thing attached to him to cause him to take a breath. If that it was dependent on him remembering to take a breath. He had a, a, an impasse there. And, and, uh, and so he had to think about every breath. Uh, I, I don't think about it at all. Unless I've been exercising for a while and I catch and I realize I'm breathing heavy or whatever. Uh, but, but 
we just don't think about it. Or when I'm congested, like I was last night, and I couldn't get my breath. Uh, you know, and, and so that, at that point, you're, you're very conscious of it. How about your heartbeat? Every heartbeat is a gift from God. How many of you can actually hear your heartbeat? When you, if you close your eyes. Some people, if, if, you're, if you're, again, in, in activity, you can actually hear the throb of your heartbeat in your ears or you, know, or you might feel it through your pulse. Because, of, because of, of the birth defects that I was born with and the heart surgeries I had, I have artificial valves. And if it's really quiet, you can hear them going click, 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 click. My grandson loves to sit and listen to them. And my granddaughters, both of them, they'll put their, chest, their ear on my chest and listen, and it's like a sound that they, they, they enjoy hearing, you know. And uh, so, you know, I'm very conscious of my heartbeat. If I get quiet, I can hear it. And yet, I realized as I was going through this, how often do I think of that in relation to it as a gift from Christ, through Christ? Our breath, our heartbeat, all the things that we have are His gift to us. His grace at work. And because we are aware that it's His breath in us, that's even a greater gift because that tells us His grace is working in us in a greater, more significant way. All things are made through Him. He was in the beginning. He is the Creator. And then it says in verse 4, in Him was life. And when we say life, we mean full, abundant, eternal life. That's the fullness of life. Everything that life includes. So it's, it's the, a fullness, abundant life. Eternal life. His life. Okay, so look at verse 4. In Him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And this idea of the light of men means it brought, brings to knowledge anything that you can see in the universe that you would give and think good in the sense of uh, and recognize the good. Again, it could be anybody. Not necessarily just because you're saved. In fact, Paul says there's, there, within the framework of, 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 of um, science and, and creation are, is the evidence of God. The very the, the deeper you look into the, the the creation and how things come together, the more you see there must be a creator of this. Uh, nothing less than intelligent design. That's the world's cop out to ignore God, but still give credit to some kind of being out there and say intelligent design. I confess that at my time and because of a, a teacher of mine in high school, I had, I believed in intelligent design. I didn't find out until after I'd become a Christian that, that Dr. Blodgett, my, my biology teacher in high school, was a Christian. And that was as close as he was allowed to come in professing God. And he, you know, but if you ever asked him on his own, and when I did finally ask him about it, I happened to be delivering a piece of furniture to him that our shop had made. And, and uh, he shared with me his testimony and all. And, and so that idea that, that you know, there's a divine creation... That's light. To be able to see a glimpse of God in, in, in creation and say there must be a God. That's light. Okay? 
anything else is is a sense of darkness. And and so we'll get to that in just a minute. So the light shines, it says in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. By the very fact that it says the darkness has not overcome it means it is what? Trying to. There is a spiritual warfare going on. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about spiritual warfare, gospel, the, the gospel armor and all of the things that go with that. There is a battle going on in, 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 in darkness versus light. And it says the, 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 the light, the darkness has not overcome it. Some scriptures say understand it, but the, the more literal picture, I believe, is does not and cannot overcome it. It will not overcome it. It cannot be victorious. And the reason it can't be victorious is because of a plan before the foundation of the world put into effect drew Jesus to the cross. And on the cross, he said it was finished. At that point, the plan to overthrow God's kingdom was made null and void. Satan was put to the run. His plan was defeated. For everybody who believes, you don't have to worry about the darkness overcoming your faith. Paul makes it really clear that nothing created, nothing that exists can take you away from God's love. Nothing can pluck you out of His hand if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we do have this battle. It says the light versus darkness. Uh, verse 9 says the, the true light, uh, again, uh, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Now, it says also that, the, uh, that he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into his own and his own people, the Jewish people, did not receive him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The darkness rejects Christ. In fact, it's interesting. Um, John, you know, verses that we're real familiar with initially uh, God, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, should have eternal life. We are, you know, that's a memory verse for a lot of you from the time you were little children in, in, in Sunday school. Uh, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that He would might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Paul says in Romans 1.8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. In other words, in this life, if you reject Christ, you're already in condemnation. You're already uh, you're, you're, you're sealing your fate, if you will, in the sense of, of what judgment's going to befall you. It says... Uh, uh, condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, Jesus, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light 
lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This battle going on. And, and we see it in our lives. And somebody says, well, the, the idea of everything that is wicked is evil, and, and we kind of push that away. What that literally means is everything that is not of God, which includes anything that we might do, even as believers, that's not of God. Now, that doesn't put us under condemnation because we've got the blood of Christ over us, but it just I want you to make sure that you understand it's, it's not just, you know, normally we think of evil and wicked as, as things that, that are, are extreme. Uh, somebody pointed out to me once, reverse the word evil. Live. <laughs> just to live, you know, in the flesh causes the, the fact that, that we have sin, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The neat thing is, is that even as believers, when we fall short of the glory of God, we're not thrown out, uh, we're not, our grace is not withdrawn. Instead, through the Holy Spirit, we're convicted, then we confess our sins and He restores us. In fact, it says in, in, in uh, John chapter 2 that Jesus is, uh, is our lawyer, if you will. He's the one that's our advocate that stands before the throne of God on our behalf. And God looks at us through Him and sees us in the blood of Christ, redeemed and saved. We, we pick up in verse 14, words that we hit frequently during the Advent, the Word became flesh. Now, I could put here, the Word became flesh, the light became flesh, Jesus Christ became flesh. They're all the same. They became, he became flesh and dwelt among us. And again, this idea, and he explained it a few times during Advent, was that he tabernacled. The word here to, to dwell is to tabernacle. And it's in reference, and Paul again, or John again is referencing this back to the Old Testament. He wanted them to see, how did God dwell among the people of Israel in the Old Testament? he would come down to the tabernacle that they built according to his instructions and they would see his glory. And they knew God's presence was there. Okay, and so he's saying he came and, and his glory filled and, and, and tabernacle literally became flesh. And Paul, interestingly enough, calls our bodies tents. He says that we dwell in tents, our temporary buildings, our temporary dwelling places in in, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so that idea that that we're in these tents, Christ came into a temporary dwelling place and tabernacled with us. He he was there with us. He dwelt with us. And it says the glory of God was with us in that sense. Um, and it says, we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I thought, how did they see His glory? Well, they saw it in His miracles. Some of His miracles were amazing. The one where He calms the sea, uh, they had, and they were, the, 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 the uh, disciples were terrified and they were frightened. And that includes Peter and James and John and who were fishermen of the Sea of Galilee. And this was a storm that, that frightened them. And, and, and basically with the idea that, oh, we're done for. What was Jesus doing? He was sleeping. They wake him up and they say, 
we're all basically we're in trouble here. And Jesus, he 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 basically stands and and he says, "Be calm. The storm ends, the waves stop, and they're at the shore." They stood back and marveled. What kind of man is this that even nature responds to him? They saw his glory. In his teaching, they said he teaches like no one ever has before. Even in his teaching, they saw something supernatural. Definitely, they saw his glory in his resurrection and his ascension. So, yes, they saw his glory, but even in, even in a very specific reference, Peter, James, and John saw his glory in a very unique way before uh, the, the death, burial, and the resurrection. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, where they go up with him and, and they see Jesus in his glory, in his brilliance, in his brightness. The Shekinah glory they shone upon him. And you see, they see Moses and Elijah. Man, they're, they're thinking, you know, what do we do? I guess we should build some housing for them, you know, so they have a place to sleep. And, you know, and that was the best they could do. And, and, and so they got to see, literally saw the glory. So all of that is implied here, I think, by John. He's, the glory was, was visible to, they had seen his glory. Uh, verse 15 takes us back to John. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. This is in, takes us back to, to verses uh, 6, 7, and 8 about the, John. It's kind of a, a little interlude here that goes back. But it's what John did. This was John's job to proclaim the Christ, the light in the world and all the things. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world just in a little while in the Gospel of John. And so this picture of John and what he does is to, is to identify Jesus Christ. And, and, but he says, he was before me. And on uh, the, the Sunday before Christmas, uh, when we were talking about peace, I made a comment about uh, the birth of, of John the Baptist and Jesus. Who was born first? John the Baptist, by three months. But John says, he's before me. Once again, alluding to Jesus' pre-existence. He's before me. He's before Abraham. Because he is the I Am. There's a statement in here too. From his fullness we have received, verse 16, from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace upon grace. There's several different interpretations for that as to what it might mean. I, I go with the simplest one. It says grace upon grace. Grace over grace. Normally, if you have something over something, it means you have what? A lot of it. It means abundant grace. In fact, if we look at it and, and, and we, we see, in, uh, again, going back to Ephesians chapter, chapter 1. In fact, I'd like to turn this time to Ephesians chapter, chapter 1 and look at it starting with verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How many blessings have you been blessed with if you are in Christ? Every spiritual blessing. Now, do we take advantage of that? No. We, 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 every time we sin, we walk outside of that. But everything that we have, every, if we are trusting in God, we realize that a spiritual blessing can be things that we don't normally assign to thinking of blessing. Can a cold be a blessing? Yes. Can being in the hospital be a blessing? Yes. I have a, a, a woman that I was just... She was one of my heroes, her and her husband. And she was 30 years had battled cancer. 30 years. 25 of it in the mission field. And the last five years of her life, she was at home. That's when I got to meet her and know her and her husband. And uh, the uh, visiting her in the hospital, uh, I got to talk with her and I, and I made a comment to her. I said, uh, Michelle, it doesn't, doesn't seem fair. It just doesn't seem fair. All the good that you've done, and here you are in pain and suffering, and 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 evil people, you know, like, and I always, I usually picture, and I always have, I guess, this way, thing, drug lords out on their in their mansions in 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 Colombia, sitting up on hilltops, out looking over the ocean at their yachts and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, I said, how unfair that is. And she looked at me and she says, well, that's because you're looking at fear through the world's eyes and through darkness. And I was kind of taken back by that. And she says, here I am being blessed as a testimony to Jesus Christ and what he has done through me. She says, I get to share it with the doctors and the nurses and the aides. And she says, I've got a captive audience. They can't run away from me. She says, do you think any of these people would have given me the time of day if I knocked on their door? But she says, they listened to me. What was really interesting was over the next couple of weeks, she gave, because it was a Bible, to an orderly who she had underlined scriptures, gone through it all through it, made notations and stuff like that. And she says, just follow the notations, one, two, three, four, and it'll take you all the way through. To, and part of it was the Roman road and other passages. And, and she went through and he came back to her and prayed with her and accepted the Lord. And I got to baptize him. She was blessed in her sickness. God blessed her because she had great joy. Blessed are the feet of them who bring the good news. She was blessed in her hospital bed. And I look at that and think, and I complain about the, the simplest little things. I even complain sometimes about the rain, Brad. <laughs> um... So this this idea that 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 you know they, we've been blessed with all these blessings, serving Christ is a blessing, and no matter how we serve, where we go. By the way, I always say too, you come out and your tires flat. First thing is, is to react negatively. I'm going to be late or whatever. But could it be that God has spared you from something worse? And I believe that's entirely possible. Or He's just Stretching your faith and blessing you with its growth. All of that. We, we, we get 
caught up with the looking through dimly and, and, and the, at, at the things of God, and we allow that to be the way we look at the earth. And, and, and we, you know, the light is to open our eyes. Jesus wants to open our eyes so that even our suffering becomes what? What does he call it in Romans chapter 5? Joy. He says, and it goes on, he says, uh, he predestined us uh, blameless before him, loveless. He goes back before the foundation of the world, predestined us. Okay, I'm just going to start it. Uh, Blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us, verse 4, in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. And And in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of His glorious grace with, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He, listen to this, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to the purpose. And this mystery of His will was the idea of salvation for us. He has lavished. I said abundant, uh, overflowing. He uses the word here, lavish. Normally, when I think of the word lavish, you know, thinking I think in terms of the negative, someone living a lavish lifestyle, the world of the rich and famous. And I don't know if any of you ever watched that program. They they, they bring bits and pieces of it back. Somebody said they're threatening to do it again. Uh, but uh, the idea was uh, you know, they take you to the home and you would see their indoor swimming pool, their outdoor swimming pool, and all these different things. And when I went to see Hearst Castle, I don't know how many of you have ever been to Hearst Castle. It was the epitome of a man's ego to himself, a, a, built, a structure to himself. That castle itself was imported from, from, from Europe. Brick and brick, stone on stone, and rebuilt there. Inside pool, you go inside and you look down and, and, it's, and, it, and it reflects, the water reflects the gold inlaid in the bottom of the pool. And you can't help but look at that and think, whoa. Now, I was privileged. I got to work through my shop. I, I, I worked in Hearst Castle, a number of things. Got to restore a number of amazing pieces of furniture. Things from Italy, things from Spain. Uh, it was and, and it was it was exciting. It was fun. It was a challenge. You had to learn how to do it the way it was made. So in some cases, I actually had to make nails from wood. Uh, you know, that had a, a little tip on it that would be driven in to a piece of, of of glue so it would hold with a little hook on it. You know, it was all these crazy things that you had to do uh, to to to. Do it according to the to the rules, so to speak. And I was impressed. I, I the one dining room set. I, I looked at it. I thought, what it would be to own that. I wasn't a Christian at the time, and it was it was impressive to me. All of this stuff. And uh, I realized that, that I look back now, and I thought, I'm the same as he was. I was impressed with all the glitter of the of the fallen world. Once, I would, once Christ comes into the picture, all of a sudden those things start to fade in their importance. And I've seen people give up great wealth to serve God and to serve Him humbly 
without any great recognition. And you realize that the important things, the blessings come from what? Serving Him. Doing His will. Ministering in His Word. Bringing His Word and His light to other people. Verse 17. Uh, so, he says, uh, in, uh, going back to, to, to John chapter 1, verse 17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given to teach us what we needed to be saved. It showed us what the holiness of God was and that because we couldn't keep it, we had to continually be coming before God with an altar, with a blood sacrifice because only the shedding of blood would cover it. But why did we have to do it over? And I say we, meaning the Hebrew people. Why did they have to do it over and over and over again? Because it was not permanent. But now that Jesus has come and Paul, and, 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 or the author of, of Hebrews gets into it, Jesus is a sacrifice once and for all. There is no need to come to the altar anymore because Jesus did it and said it is finished. And he was the final, once and for all, satisfied. So all of that Old Testament law was to show that we needed his grace and we needed Christ. We needed the Messiah. We needed his forgiveness. And so it came of what Moses brought to us was the tutor, the teacher, the, the law that showed us that we needed uh, the, the grace and the truth that came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, referring to the Word, the Light, the Son of God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. The final picture here of the, of the prologue, the opening to John, was is that Jesus Christ came and, would, and, and through Him we would see the Father. And of course, that's exactly what He said. You've seen Me, you've seen the Father. You've listened to Me, you've heard the Father. You've walked with Me, you've walked with the Father. Because he was in the beginning with God. He was God. In uh, this idea of Jesus became flesh becomes literally a man, something that is really beyond our our understanding. Uh, in the sense that he had two, two natures within him. There was the, the nature of God and yet the nature of man. He, and the nature of man was truly tempted. Somebody will say, well, Jesus was God. How, you know, you know, how, how did that work? I mean, he can't, you know, he doesn't understand how we've been tempted. But Jesus in the, in the wilderness, this is the three temptations that Jesus was tempted. He was tempted to, by, by the devil with things that would cause him to be glorified as the Messiah right then and there. Jump off the temple wall and land on his feet and his heel would not be bruised. Man, the people would have jumped around him and, 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 and worshipped him right then and there because that's, they were expecting that from the Messiah. Or, or that he, you know, Satan finally says, I'll give you all the kingdoms in the world. And at that point, they were his to give. Okay? And, and Jesus, if you just put, bow down. He was tempted in ways we'll never be tempted. When, did Jesus, when have you ever been tempted to pick up a stone and say, turn to bread? You know, I mean, we know we can't do that's That's outside of our 
So Jesus was tempted above and beyond. But it's interesting that, that what Hebrews talks about in reference to Christ. Let me read something to you here. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to, the, to lifelong slavery. For surely he is not, uh, he, it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Uh, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make appropriation, make the, the payment that's necessary for the sins of the people. Because, for Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And uh, in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, he says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens of Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The humans the, in the flesh, he was tempted in every way as we are, but his nature of God overwhelming and without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Which is what we do every time we share in communion. Actually, it's what we do every time we call out to Him in prayer. It's what we do every time we open His Word. We draw into His presence. It's not a bad idea to pray, Lord, as I draw into Your presence through Your Holy Spirit, open my, my mind and my heart that I might receive from you those things that, that you have for me today as you read His Word. As we approach communion, we think the, the reality. He came in the flesh. The Word became flesh. That's what the bread represents. A lot of times we, just, we think of only the body on the Christ. It's the body in the manger as well. He came in the flesh. He set his kingship, if you will, his, his scepter aside, emptied himself, and became a man. He became flesh. Dwelt among us, was tempted as we are tempted in all things. So that in the victory that he would have when he said it is finished on the cross, the once and for all sacrifice would be made. And for all who believe and receive him as Christ, the Son of God, God, the one that God raised from the dead, believe in their heart, confess with their mouth. Jesus said, you will be saved. And as we come to communion, we celebrate that. And he told us very clearly through Paul to, and, and, and in the Gospels, and as we share in communion, to, to share it until he comes again. So the second coming is, is pictured in there as well. I'd ask the ushers to come forward. Uh, if you would take the communion and pass it out until we've all been served. Hold it until we've all received it uh, to, and we'll share it together.